Hi, and welcome to the Awesome Women podcast, empowering, supporting and connecting autistic women. You're with Nat, autistic woman and founder of Awesome Women in Australia. Today's In today's podcast, I interview Kay Kerr. Hi, Kay, and welcome to the Awesome Women podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Before we delve into your work uh, as an author, I just wanted to ask you about your own personal journey to receiving an autism diagnosis. Can you tell listeners how you came about finding out that you are autistic and, like, were there any light bulb moments? Yeah, so I never quite know where to start with this story because I think when I look back on it now, I can see so clearly the lead up to it. I was I was working a really high stress job um, as a, a community newspaper editor and, you know, then jamming my weekends full of social activities and, and using alcohol to mask my way through those social activities um, and exhausting myself and my mental health was just an, in a really bad place with anxiety um, just around turning up to work and sort of putting on that performance as a, a newspaper editor and, and doing interviews and and managing people and that kind of thing. Um, so I can see now that I was definitely headed towards burnout. Um, mm. And then I went on a holiday um, to New York with my cousin and just had this intense sensory reaction to the city um, because I, you know, I could hear electricity in the build in the buildings, and there's people and smells and sights and sound. And I just didn't sleep. We were there, I think, for four nights or four days, something wow. like that. And I just didn't. I literally didn't sleep a wink. Like I think people think I'm exaggerating when I say <laughs> I didn't sleep at all. Wow. And it wasn't. It wasn't like an anxiety response either, because I, mm. I was very well aware of how my anxiety sort of felt in my body. But this was a very different and very sensory kind of reaction so when I got back from that trip um I started googling um you know sense light sensitivity sensory overload those kinds of things and and eventually found myself going down the rabbit hole of um specifically finding accounts from autistic women about their experiences um because you know if you just put autism into to google what you get is a list of diagnostic criteria that just doesn't really have any doesn't feel like you know, a real life or a real person. It just feels very medical and very dry. So once I yeah. found these um, these accounts from these women, I think it might have been a BBC story or something like that, and um, mm. it started to, it connected a couple of things for me. It connected the social um, struggles that I had had um, throughout my whole life and then it connected the sensory stuff that I had knew that I was always particular or sensitive or however however it was described to me without the framework of autism. Um, yeah. And then the processing stuff as well. I think that was a really big one. Like I'm the, the, I need to watch movies with subtitles because I have auditory processing challenges or if I'm in, ah. you know, a really a noisy room, like at a party or at a cafe or a restaurant, I, yes. I can't tune into the person that's talking to me if there are other conversations or other noises happening around me. So it just kind of was like this umbrella explanation that took in all these things that I thought, were really random um, yeah. and sort of fit them all together. So I, as soon as I had read that kind of stuff, I knew really seriously deep down that that's what it was. But then, you know, you've mm-hmm. kind of got to jump through the hoops and do the stuff to actually get somebody um, to give you a diagnosis. So it was a long process from there. Um, and, you know, the first time I went to my GP, he was really dismissive and he was like, no, you can't be autistic. You're making eye contact. You're making conversation. Don't. Yep. And I, 
I kind of didn't have the nerve to stand up to him in that first appointment. So I went away being like, no, I can't be. And then I read some more and I was like, no, actually, I really do want to get that referral. So I had to go back a second time and and say, no, I actually just really want that referral to the assessment psychologist um, who had researched, you know, someone in my area that specialized in um, diagnosing adults and specifically women, um, which was lucky that we had some, somebody that was working in Brisbane that could do that. Um, And then it was like a big wait list to get in to see her. Mm -hmm. And so um, in that time I, I was kind of reassessing things and I quit my job it's to take on some work as a freelance writer because I just kind of started to put some little pieces in place and, and realize that the job wasn't a good fit for me and I needed to have a little bit more autonomy and a little bit more downtime I guess so yeah. I was kind yeah. of making making moves in that way as well and then finally when I got mm-hmm. to have the assessment which was a very expensive and big emotional drawn out process um and I'm pretty sure on the day the psychologist said, yes, I like gave me an autism diagnosis. Um, and then that's kind of it after you get the diagnosis, you kind yeah. of left to go back out into the world. Um, how old were you, Kay, when you went to New York? Um, about 25. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wow. So between that time and receiving the diagnosis, how long was that approximately? Uh, maybe about six or seven months. Like I came yes. back and got straight to chasing it. So the longest period was waiting to actually get in to see somebody. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I think a lot of women, uh, autistic women, can definitely relate um, to that because there are big wait lists um, at the moment. I think I think what's interesting is like you touched on, um, you know, women and girls were often overlooked or misdiagnosed or misunderstood when it comes to autism. So I think um, thinking about like your childhood and your teenage years, was there anything that kind of um, stood out to you now that you think, oh, okay, that was like because I wasn't diagnosed with autism and it was a struggle? Oh, yeah, constantly. I'm constantly having like it's a little bit less now that it's kind of been like seven years or so since my diagnosis but that was just a constant process of of looking back and having this new framework and this new lens to look back at your experiences so I feel like I was kind of walking around in a bit of a haze you know in those first initial months and years um just Mm -hmm. going back through my memories and sorting through them and but I I definitely remember being a a kid with big feelings like big meltdowns now I can see um not able to be in control of, of my feelings. Um, I remember sensory sensitivities um, a lot as a kid. Um, like I was mm-hmm. a kid that cut all the tags off my clothes and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I had, I had a lot of social struggles, um, just yeah. figuring out how to navigate friendships and especially as I got into high school and friendship groups and those kinds of dynamics I really um, struggled with. But I remember, I vividly remember mm-hmm. in primary school, um, going over to a being invited over to a friend's house and being very excited about that and then getting there and there being somebody else there that I wasn't aware yes. was going to be there and so just that change of um plans and I see it you know now that I've got a yeah. daughter I can see it from yeah. a different perspective but just having like just panicking and having a real meltdown and being you know reprimanded by her mother for being spoiled mm-hmm. or bratty or you know not handling it well but it really was just that Mm-hmm. not being able to process that change or, or not things not going how I 
had imagined that they would go in my head. Um, mm. And then even like I think about like I really struggle with transitions. Like I think about having meltdowns every time after swimming lessons, about having to get into the car and leave, those kinds of things. Mm, mm. And it's interesting um, because, you know, as we know, autism wasn't uh, in the DSM criteria. So for listeners, the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. So it's what um, psychologists and psychiatrists use to diagnose autism. You know, that didn't come in until 1980. So... You know, that's um, really that's not that long ago. No, not at all. And I, yeah, I just think as well being like a quiet kid or a academically minded mm. yeah. kid, people pleasing, I definitely think was part of the masking. So if you fly under the radar in that way, you're not um, necessarily mm. going to be picked up for having some challenges or having anything else going on. That's right. And especially if academically you're doing well. Um, you know, even if you're like the quiet achiever, like you say, you go under the radar. Yeah, but I think like my academic, it was very like up and down. Like there were some things like English mm-hmm. that I was really good at and then some things that I was really bad at. So it's, yeah, that sort of mismatched yeah. um, report cards, I guess, was, yeah, was interesting. Yeah. So I guess fast forward to when you did receive your autism diagnosis, Um you know, I don't know if you can remember back to that day or that time, like what was the actual experience like for you? Like, and also um, I guess you're looking at positives, what are some of the positives that have come out of actually receiving a formal diagnosis? I found that the diagnostic process to be very emotionally draining. So I, I remember just crying through it just because it was that dredging up of past struggles and past challenges and stuff, you know, probably in my, um, mm. you know, high stress environment as a 20 something year old and drinking on the weekends, I probably had Mm. not really self-reflected for most of my adulthood or if at all. So I found that really challenging, but actually getting the diagnosis was a massive relief. It was really positive. And I think I kind of came away from it quite just sort of exhausted and and needing time to Mm. process it as well. Kind of came away as a bit of a zombie and, and, I think, you know, went to bed for a few days and kind of let myself process it. But the actual knowledge of myself being autistic has been so positive. And I think um, from there being able to to connect with other autistic people and to sort of talk about my experiences and that kind of thing, it's, it's, yeah, it's just been really positive. I mean, also it is exhausting to do that work and to sort of look back on the past experiences and that kind of thing like it. It is tiring, but I definitely think it's work that's worth it. Yeah, that's right. Um, So I guess for autistic women listening, um, you know, like you say, receiving the formal diagnosis, it does bring up a lot of, um, you know, personal, um, you know, emotional trauma almost, um, and it can be very exhausting. But like you say, you've known now for seven years um, and, yeah, there's a lot of positives like you've said, that that have come out of it, which is a good thing. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I got my diagnosis in February of that year and then I was pregnant by, I think in July. So I've kind of done it the other way around. I know a lot of women that get diagnosed after their child gets a diagnosis, but I had my diagnosis, you know, right from the start of having my daughter. So, and then mm-hmm. have used that information and that knowledge um, and to get her a diagnosis quite young yes. in the scheme of things. So it's been really positive because then I've been able to come to that space 
uh, you know, as a carer and a support role for her, you know, having yes. done that sort of self work or knowing more about it than I would have if, if she had gotten a diagnosis without me having mine, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's really good to hear. Um, so getting on to your books, um, which is I'm very excited to hear about, you have authored two books, Please Don't Hug Me and Social Cue. Um, so can you explain to listeners what your books are about and maybe who they're targeted for? Yeah, of course. So they're both um, YA books, um, sort of say 13 or 14 plus. Um, Please Don't Hug Me was my first novel that came out last year. Um, I was actually in the process of writing it when I got my autism diagnosis. So that was really interesting because I had this character who I thought was just kind of this socially awkward, anxious girl struggling Mm. with all of these things. And then I got my diagnosis and I realized that what I had written on the page was a a character struggling with their own autism. So Mm. I just kind of reworked that, um, that story um, with that understanding of myself and that character, but please don't hug me is about, um, Erin, she's about to finish high school. She's navigating all of the change that comes at the end of year 12, like formal and exams and graduation mm-hmm. and schoolies. Um, and she, that's a lot of change for her and she loses her part-time job, um, which mm-hmm. she needed to save up for schoolies. So she's trying to process and work through all of that, um, through writing letters to her brother, Rudy. Um, so it's, you know, a bit funny, a bit serious. Um, that's kind of the balance I think of both of the books. And then Social cue is kind of, they're kind of like a nice pair because mm. they're not linked in any way. But Erin, you know, in the first book, Please Don't Hug Me, she's 17, finishing year 12. And then in Social Cue, um, Zoe is 18 and in her first year of university. So um, mm. it was just kind of nice to write through those two different ages. I think yeah. I particularly struggled, you know, in the senior years of high school. So Please Don't Hug Me was quite um, therapeutic in that way to explore that mm. time. And then social cue, um, I really just wanted to put an autistic girl at the centre of a, a rom-com because I haven't uh, yes. I haven't seen or read that um, very often. There's one author um, in the US, Helen Huang, who writes yes. um, adult romance, which I love. Yeah. Um, but, in yeah, there wasn't a lot around and I really just wanted to write a joyous sort of escapist, really fun um, story um about an autistic girl trying to find love and so with that book Zoe um she's doing a internship at an online publication and she's um trying to find something to write about for her first piece and she writes about how not having had any romantic experience as a teenager in high school has made it feel like she's being thrown in the deep end joining dating apps um and then from there all these people from her past come out and say that they did have romantic feelings for her but she'd missed the the cues the social cues so she goes back and reconnects with them um yeah that's fantastic so in please don't hug me was that a kind of um what's the word a kind of um morphing of an autistic girl but like you say at the time you didn't know or you found out during writing that you were autistic so then it kind of developed that character developed or were you kind of writing from your reflection of when you were younger no so I was writing this character I was trying to like emotionally I was trying to figure out what it was that I struggled Mm. with so much in high school but it very much was I guess fiction gives you the freedom when you're writing about somebody else and some things happening to them. It gives you a bit of freedom to explore um, a little bit, yeah, a little bit more freely. So 
Yeah. Um, I went back and gave her, like she had a diagnosis as a child. So I, I sort of gave okay. her a bit more of a support network and understanding around mm-hmm. her, her sense of self um, as a gift to her, as something I would have loved to have had in high school but didn't. So, yeah. yeah. So for autistic uh, girls, teenagers, young women uh, reading your books, would you say that it would be um, helpful for them because it points out different things about what it's like to be like an autistic girl or? Yeah, I just think when I mm. first read Helen Huang's book, The Kiss Quotient, um, which was shortly yeah. after I was diagnosed, and it's like a very steamy romance. So this mm. wasn't the intended reaction, but I remember just bawling reading that book, <laughs> just the feeling of um, being seen on the page, that feeling of recognition yes. and of somebody having like a shared experience. So I think, you know, I don't write the books to necessarily teach anyone about anything, but I yes. I would love for autistic girls and women. And I'm, you know, I'm in my thirties now and I still read YA. I don't, I know yeah. that, you know, the readership is teenagers, but I think anyone can read and enjoy it. It's a wonderful yeah, um, readership. But yeah. I just think if, if they could feel connected or feel seen or represented in any way that that's the best feeling for me as a writer. Yes. Fantastic. That's so good to hear. Well, thank you, Kay, so much for your insights into your own personal journey uh, and also for informing listeners about your books. I guess um, what words of advice could you share with women um, thinking that they might be autistic or even for those that are newly diagnosed? I would say um, to to try and find connection with communities online, whether that is, mm-hmm. um, you know, in groups on Facebook or through Twitter or other social yeah. media platforms or um, websites or, you know, mm-hmm. autism support groups, that kind of thing, because yeah. having other people, other neurodivergent or autistic women, um, people to talk to has really been the most affirming thing for me. And, and I learned so much from those groups and those spaces as well about, you know, you'll read something and you'll be like, oh, I didn't realise that was autism related or I didn't realise I did yes. that because of that. Um, so it's a constant sort of learning and also unlearning of all of the, uh, you know, the other labels that you've put on yourself or other people have put on you when you didn't yes. have autism as a label. You had, you know, fussy or mm. rude or blunt or, you know, <laughs> dramatic or whatever, all the yeah. other labels that you end up with, you kind of have mm. to unlearn all of that self-talk um I think I was saying to you saying to you before off air I feel like I'm still learning um to prioritize rest and not to feel guilty about rest but I think that's definitely something that I need to do and all of us need to do I guess when we're autistic and need to give our brain downtime yeah totally I can understand that um and I think you know you raise a good point about just reaching out to other autistic women um and, yeah, sharing our journeys and, and learning from one another as well, I think. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and just, like, it's it's light and fun as well a lot of the time. Like, I get mm-hmm. so such good laughs and such good friendships and that kind of thing because there isn't really a lot of support mm. out there on a sort of um, higher level, you know, like yeah. there aren't all of a sudden a huge funding or anything that's yeah. given to you with a diagnosis. So you have to carve yeah. that out and seek it out yourself in order to, to get any I guess, benefit from that other than the self-knowledge, which obviously is massive and yeah, is part yeah. of it. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much, Kay, for your time today. I really enjoyed talking to you and I appreciate all your words of wisdom. Oh, thank you so the much. women in our community. Um, yeah, thank you so much. It's been a treat. Thank you so much.
So for further information on Kay's books, please visit Kay's website, which is www.kaykerr, which is double R, dot com. Thanks, Kay. Thank you. Bye.